and an incredible woman of God and an awesome friend. If you could, just celebrate her. Good morning. Thank you, Cece. It is good to be with you this morning. Um, I'm usually with you. I'm just usually out there. Um, and it's a delight of mine that I get to be up here this morning and to share um, from God's Word. As Cece said, I am um, Shana Wildermuth. And I thought I'd tell you a little bit about me um, and some of, something that you are actually a part of in my life. Um, Newcom supports multiple missionaries here in the city as well as in the nation in the world and I am one of them some of you might know that some of you might not know that what that means is some of your tithe and offering that you gave today goes to missionaries like me so that I can take the gospel and God's kingdom to college students uh, here in Chicago which ripples into the nation into the world and so I am the co-director of uh, the collegiate mission of the navigators in Chicago which means I lead direct, train staff and students on multiple campuses, and I'm also the campus director at UIC. Um, and a little bit about us there, it is one of the most diverse campuses in the nation. Uh, I think the provost said it's number three. Both ethnically, racially, religiously, it's incredibly diverse, which I love. There's an incredible beauty to that, as well as an incredible complexity. So I would... Uh, ask you to pray for us as we take Jesus to that campus. We have around 50 students who are reading the Bible with us weekly, and around half of those do not yet know Jesus. So as you can imagine, uh, the enemy hates that we are on that campus, and so I would love um, you to pray for us, because you are part of that through your giving already, so um, I would appreciate your prayers as well. This morning, I titled the passage, or the topic this morning is Committed to Love. And I just want to read that passage. It'll come up on the screen so you can follow along as I read it. It is Matthew 22, 34 through 40. And it says, Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Let me pray for us as we dive into this passage. God, thank you that you are here. We invite you, Holy Spirit, to move. We invite you to change us. We invite you to teach us about you. Would you enable us to be people who leave here um, wanting to love you more, having an understanding of what it means to love ourselves, and a deeper heart to love our neighbors as ourselves. God, I pray that I would get out of the way of anything that you want to communicate today, that I would just be your instrument but you would be the voice that speaks. May your will be done. We want your will, your way, above our own. So be with us now as we look at this passage and some others. And we pray this in your name. Amen. So as I studied this passage over the last couple weeks, I wanted to get the context, because I think context is important, not just in the Bible, but in general, that we'd be people who contextualize things well. Um, and looking at this passage, Jesus had an insane day. It was like back and forth between the Sadducees and the Pharisees who were wanting to trap him in his words. And so 
the, first the Pharisees went out to trap him and ask him about a question in regard to paying taxes. He answers in a way that astounds them and they are silenced and go away. Then the Pharisees decide, okay, it's our turn, and they come up with one of the bizarrest questions, I think, in the Bible about this woman who married one brother, he died, then married the next brother, and there were seven of them, and they all died. And their question was this, in heaven, whose wife is she? And I thought, why? I don't understand why they came up with this question. It just seemed bizarre. But the way Jesus answered it, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. And then they go away. And then the Pharisees, hearing that the Sadducees have gone away, they come back with this question that I just read. And I, so I thought, I would like to know a little bit more about the Pharisees and Sadducees. I've heard about them, but I was like, I'd like to know more. And so what I learned is that both of them... Um, religious groups in Judaism in Jesus's time. The Sadducees were more conservative and elitist. The Pharisees were more representative of the common working people and had the respect of the masses. Both had political and religious views and how they functioned in society. Some they agreed on, a lot they didn't. Um, and honestly, as I read it, I thought, this sounds like 2018, where we have liberal and conservative and we have people who are fighting over different passages and divisions are happening and we're questioning Jesus. And I wondered if he would say the same thing to us today. Um, the greatest commandment is to love me, love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And it really challenged me. This passage comes, Jesus is quoting from Deuteronomy. Um, in Deuteronomy 4, I mean 6, 4 through 8, it says, Hear, O Lord, or hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. So they should have known this passage because they were religious teachers um, and of the law, expert of the law, but they wanted to trap Jesus. But what I love is Jesus is quoting something that they were probably familiar with. And I just thought, this is amazing, that to love your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and that you're supposed to talk about it with your friends as you're walking. You're supposed to talk about it when you get up and when you lie down. And it challenged me to be someone that I talk about with my friends how are you doing in loving God with all your heart, soul, mind? How are you doing at loving? Well, this is just about heart, soul, mind. We'll get to the next part. So as I thought about this passage, to love with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. There's a totality. Ooh, sorry about that. There's a totality um, in that. I tried to think about what is the difference between the heart and the soul and the mind, and I did some word studies um, on it, and I thought they're kind of inseparable. Um, it includes your character, your inner self, your will, your intentions, your center. Your soul includes the, your vital breath of life, the seat of your affections, your very self. The mind includes your understanding, your intellect, and your insight. The word love in the English language is very limiting. I love McDonald's french fries, don't judge me. I also love my mom, I love God. The way I love each of those things is very different, however. <laughs> um, 
And in the Bible, there's multiple words for love. I wish we had different words for love in the English language, actually. There's eros, storge, phileo, and agape. And they mean things like a family love or romantic love. Agape is the kind of love, though, that God has for us. It's a consuming love. And I, in this passage, it is agape love. I don't know. I think I would have thought it was a different love, but it's agape love. And I was like, how do we love with agape love? And honestly, the only way can, we can do it is because of God's love for us. Is the only way that we can agape love God back. It is a discriminating affection, which involves choice and selection. It means actively doing what the Lord prefers with him and by his power and direction. When Pastor Zox asked me, um, actually I said yes to preaching, Pastor Zox recommended this passage because for those of you who are reading through Immerse, this is part of this week's reading. And I had freedom to pick another passage, but when he recommended this one and I read it, I thought, oh no, this is what I'm giving my life to. This is what um, my conversations have um, been consumed by and with staff and students that I've been mentoring. And so I decided to do it. And then I decided, well, in preparation, uh, I'm just going to start praying this passage into my life. I smile because um, I don't think I knew what I was getting into. But um, so oftentimes before I got out of bed in the morning, I would just pray, Lord, today would you enable me to love you with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind. I choke up when I talk about important things, so just warning you. And then I would love my neighbor as myself. In the last couple months, God has enabled me to do that. And it hasn't always been easy because he's reoriented some of my affections and moved some things out of my life. When you pray things like this, God wants to answer. And he did with me. I'll be honest, I took a break for like a week. <laughs> praying that prayer because I was like, okay, God, I get it. I get it. Um, I was wrestling with some big things in the last couple months in regard to my job and future, regarding some deep longings and unanswered prayers. I had some significant relational conflicts during that time. And I led and directed our first student retreat in Chicago where students from five different campuses came. And I had to ask myself questions. God, do I love you more than I want to be seen as competent and successful? Do I love you more than I want this answered prayer? And do I love you more than I want this certain amount of students to come to this retreat? I don't regret praying that prayer. My intimacy with Jesus grew a lot stronger. I was able to surrender some big things, including that weekend, um, to the Lord. My prayer for many years, and I would love for you to adopt this prayer, it's kind of a shortened version of this, that I would love God most. I love breath prayers. Breath prayers are what I can say, what I say is like you can say them in a sentence. And so a sentence breath prayer is that I would love God most. Another one I pray, you can adopt this one, um, is that God's voice would be the loudest voice in my life. I can't even imagine what this world would look like if all followers of Jesus prayed these prayers and lived them out. What would the world look like? What would this nation look like? I do know that our idols would be dethroned and our fears would be silenced. 
our affections would be reoriented. And I think this world would be changed. I work with college students, as I mentioned, and I often think about the why. Why do we do what we do? And I think it's important, and God can answer our whys. College students don't, maybe none of us, really like to be told what to do, um, just, just to do it. Actually, a lot of times as a child, that's what my parents would say, and I'd say, why? And they say, because I said so. <laughs> um, growing up, I thought God was mean and demanding, angry, and I was just supposed to do what he said because he is God and says so. Yet it is hard for me just to do things without understanding the why behind it. I've since learned the character of God, and I long to know him and love him as he is. And I actually have a clip that I love that's become, become really precious to me in the last couple of months that I want um, to be played for you to hear about who God is. The Bible says my king is a king of the Jews. He's a king of Israel. He's a king of righteousness. He's a king of the ages. He's a king of heaven. He's a king of glory. He's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder do you know him? My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleanses the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he beautifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's the key to knowledge. He's the wellspring of wisdom. He's the doorway of deliverance. He's the pathway of peace. He's the roadway of righteousness. He's the highway of holiness. He's the gateway of glory. Do you know him? Well, his life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous and his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Uh, I wish I could describe him to you. He's indescribable. 
He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. You can't get him out of your mind. You can't, you can't get him off of your hands. You can't outlive him, and you can't live without him. The Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him, and the grave couldn't hold him. Yeah, that's my king. That's my king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and tried. He's the wellspring of wisdom, the pathway of peace, and the grave couldn't hold him. Those were just a few that I picked out that um, stood out to me the last time I watched that. Since I've learned about the character of God, I can't help but love him because I know him and growing and knowing him is those things. Recently, on the way back to my apartment from campus, I've played this video several times because sometimes when I come back from campus, my heart is very heavy because of the brokenness that I see. I play this because I remember who is king and why it's worth it going to campus and taking the kingdom to campus. Another breath prayer of mine is, you are king. And sometimes I just say that over and over again. So let's get to the rest of the passage. It says, the second is like it. The second commandment is like it. The first being to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And that surprised me. The living, New Living Translation said it's equally important. And I honestly, I wanted to have this message where I had these three easy points, or easy, just clean, love God, love yourself, love people. And I realized it's hard to do because they're so intertwined. That loving self and neighbor looks a lot like loving God. That there's a similarity um, that you can't separate the two. There's a resemblance, there's a likeness when we love ourselves and love others. It's, it's like loving God, because we are his image bearers. I thought it was interesting um, in this passage that loving self wasn't its own commandment. This is commandment one. It was like a given that you are loving yourself. Um, Jesus is saying, I want you to love your neighbor like that. If I'm honest, this is the hardest part of this passage, the sense of loving self. See, I grew up in a home where it was said, don't love yourself. Your job is to love others. I get that there is a fear of narcissism. Let's be real, there's way too many narcissistic people and leaders in our country right now. Um, but I think in fear of it become too self-centered. My family and the church I grew up in um, said to love yourself was actually even not biblical. I could tell you that you are a precious image bearer of God and have a hard time believing in myself. And it's pretty vulnerable for me today to say it's taken years and layers and it's still a struggle for me to believe that I have importance and, valuable, and value. See, I'm someone who's given, given my life to loving others and to loving God. But I have a hard time loving myself. 
As you know, if you fly much or if you've watched movies, um, the, the flight attendant on an airplane will say, that if the masks come down, you need to put your mask on first before you can put the mask on someone else. And I believe that's what God is doing in my life right now, is teaching me to put the mask on myself, teaching me to take care of myself so that I can better take care of others. I've been through significant burnout two times. The first was 10 years ago. I was on staff with the Navigators, and I'd been struggling with suicidal thoughts for 20 years. Started when I was very young. And I was increasingly getting suicidal. And I was in a very, very unhealthy relationship. I had been taught that counseling um, and therapy was for the weak and the crazy, and so uh, there was no way I was gonna get counseling for years. I was at a desperate place and did get counseling, and through that, God has brought incredible freedom and healing. Two years ago, I've been in Chicago four and a half, but two years ago here in Chicago, I went through my second burnout. Both of those times, if you looked at my life, people would have said, she's doing a phenomenal job of loving God and loving people. But I was dying on the inside. A sabbatical is what um, pastors often get in people who work in full-time ministry, and I had a six-month one. I was emotionally, had nothing to give to people. The first two months of my sabbatical, my job was to rest, and I hated it. I hated it. People, because that was my job, and I had no idea how to rest. Thankfully, I had a team around me who helped me in that, and I did learn how to rest. Still, even in the last two weeks, I've had both a life coach and a colleague say to me, I wish that you could confidently believe who you are and what value you bring to the kingdom of God and to people. It's humbling to me that this journey is still very much a journey I am walking out every day. It's hard for me to humbly own that God has gifted me in some significant ways and has written a miraculous story that I'm even alive today if you knew my story is a miracle. And he's using me in powerful ways. Um, loving me requires good self-care. This summer, some of you might have been here when Michelle Dobson talked about keeping the Sabbath enables us to fight for justice and keep it on the forefront of our lives. I realized that in order to make it through the semester, I was going to have to um, practice Sabbath. So this semester, probably half of the Saturdays of the semester, I have really done that, where I have no plans and I do that which is restful now that I know what those things are. For me, it includes cooking, it includes Netflix, it includes naps, includes reading books, includes being outside. It might be different for you what rest is, but those things are rest. Actually, having no plans is restful for me. Sometimes I'll spend time with a life-giving friend, a friend. Other self-care things that I've had to prioritize so I don't emotionally spiral and go to dark places that are very known for me, that is having mentors. In Proverbs it says, raging war, you need many advisors. And there's wars that God asks me to wage. To have interdependent community um, and life-giving friends. Sometimes I have to make a daily list of things to be a healthy person. I just wonder what it would look like if we all believed that we are treasured children of God, and that we learn to love ourselves in the way that um, God loves us. It is hard for me. I don't feel like I'm, actually I do feel like I'm more successful than ever, but I would say it's literally a daily um, choice of mine to do that. We're going to talk next about loving neighbor. 
because we are to love our neighbor as ourselves. And the Luke passage, um, the Luke version of this passage, right after Jesus says to love your neighbor as yourself, the expert in the law said, who's my neighbor? Um, and as many of you know the, the story, it is the story of the Good Samaritan, where a man has been robbed and beaten, and he's on the side of the road. And a priest and a Levite, the spiritual leaders of the time, walked on the other side of the road, where the Samaritan, the marginalized person at the time, went and took care of the person who had been robbed. I believe our neighbors include those we like to other. We right now are in a time where we categorize people. We put people in other, those spaces that are not like me. They're not like me culturally, racially, politically. They have different views, maybe theologically, about sex and sexuality. Maybe they think differently in regard to money or in a different socioeconomic status. The list goes on and on and on. We're in a world right now that is so divisive, where we pick sides, where we pit ourselves against one another, and it's commonplace to bash others. This is something I've been thinking about for a while, that I think we actually are fighting the wrong battles often. A passage that has been really powerful for me, probably in the last five years, is Ephesians 6, 10 through 12. And it says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. I think so often we are fighting people when we need to be fighting principalities. And the enemy wants us to look at people and hate them. And he's winning in that. But we need to see the principalities of evil as they are. Racism and misogyny, patriarchy and sexism, whiteness, white supremacy, Islamophobia, homophobia, and many other things that are dominating our world right now. Principalities of darkness. These evil principalities are dehumanizing people. People who are image bearers of God. We have got to learn to fight the enemy instead of people. We need to fight to see people as human. We need to radically love those who are hard to love. I think this is how the world will see that we are disciples of Jesus. In John 13, 34 and 35, Jesus says a new command. So we've talked about the first commandment, the second commandment, and here's a new commandment. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. I think Christians should be that, who love one another as fellow believers of cross differences, should be powerful statement to the world that we are different that we can love people who don't think like us, who don't look like us, and not just a superficial love, a deep, abiding love. How did Jesus love us? He chose to come to a messy world. He chose to come out of perfect heaven to a broken world that hated him, despised him, that beat him, that killed him. 
And that's what he's asking us to do, to love like he did. What does that look like? I think it's sitting with people to encourage them, to tell people what is true about them, to speak life into them. Because of mentors in my life, I'm believing what is true about me and the worth I have. We need to be the kind of people who are quick to point out the good in people. We have lots and lots of messages that tear down these days. We need people to build us up and press encouragement into us. Other ways to love, I think, is you speaking truth to power. To stand in solidarity with those who are marginalized. To fight injustice, both that you see in your day-to-day life and the systemic injustice that is ruling this nation. To encourage people with the hope of Jesus. To weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. To make the phone call when the Holy Spirit prompts you to reach out. To pray, to truly pray against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. I want to get a little bit practical. I um, am someone who's very practical because that's what I do is I help people walk with Jesus and put him first. Um, I love personality tests. I know some of you love the Enneagram. If you don't know what that is, don't worry about it. Um, I am a solid two with a strong wing three, if you want to know. I actually think it's very helpful in self-awareness, and it's actually helped me a lot in helping, in under, helping people and understanding them. I was reading this article about every personality type and how the, they should overcome fears, and every single one it said that they need to practice stillness, solitude, and silence. And I thought, wow, that's... That surprised me that every single personality needs to practice those things. We are hurried and busy people. In order to love God most and others, we have to carve out regular time to sit at his feet and to listen to what he says. We have to put our phone, TV, our work, our computer down, social media down. We need to Sabbath because when we Sabbath, we fight battles and principalities. And we have, the, we have the wisdom and energy to do that. You can become more in tune with the Holy Spirit and obey his promptings to reach out to people. We need to have the emotional energy to engage in today's problems, to not just shut the TV off when things are painful, but able to pray to reach out to people. I want to finish with this thought. Cece, if you want to come up. I believe it takes a lot of courage to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and our neighbors, ourself. I love the word courage. Just as the dis- dictionary definition of courage is the attitude of facing and dealing with anything recognized is dangerous, difficult, or painful instead of running away from it. There's a lot of difficult, dangerous, and pa- painful things we need to face and not run away with. In Acts 4.13, it said, when they saw the courage of Peter and John, they realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, and they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. Because they had been with Jesus, they had noticeable courage to their friends. May it be that we live as children of the King, that we know him as King, that we spend time with him and have courage to love him most, Trust him with our biggest hopes and dreams, longings and unanswered prayers. You would have courage to love yourself 
Maybe some of you need to see a therapist like I did. Maybe you need to trust God for interdependent friendships. Maybe you need to prioritize silence, solitude, and stillness. It takes courage to love others, to stand up against injustice. It takes courage to sit across from someone and speak life into them. Remember, we can love because he first loved us. And it is impossible to love without his love. I love how Pastor Peter often ends a sermon with taking us back to the cross and reminding us of the cross. And I want to do that today as I end. God in his love sent his one son, his only son, to us, to this broken world. To die a horrible death that we might know life. My prayer is that his death and resurrection would enable us to love him most, to radically love ourselves so that we can love people in a way that is desperately needed today. I've said a lot this morning, but I wanted now to give you some time, some silence um, with you and the Lord. So would you just take some time and just spend some time talking with him what, with whatever he has brought up. Maybe it's a certain area where you need courage. Maybe it's a certain area where you're realizing that you aren't loving God most, that you're loving something else more than him. And so I just want to give you some time where you, alone with the Lord, um, just spend some time praying. Maybe you need to listen to something he wants to speak to you. Maybe God is wanting to whisper something to you, something you're dealing with right now that you need courage in. And then after that, we'll end in, a, in worship.